Hello, City Hope. I want to welcome all of our campuses, Mobile, Foley, Baymanet, all the men at the Correctional Facility, everyone at Malvis and online. Hey, welcome to City Hope. We're glad you're here. We are in part two of a new series, uh, Death and All His Friends, and this weekend I'm going to talk about fear. So what I want you to understand is this. All of us deal with it. So I want you to kind of take that mask off and be open and listen. I'm going to speak from my heart, lay some things out for you I think will help. There, there is no feeling quite like the icy crispness of fear when it hits you. And it comes in so many varieties, and I've been there and you've been there. As a children's pastor for 20 years, when the services that we had with children are typical to these. At the end, we would have children come for prayer, and the majority of their request was regarding fear. Fear is simply a part of the fabric of living. Uh, God equipped us with good fear, so we'd be wise enough to protect ourselves from the unexpected. It's a basic survival instinct. It's a good thing as long as it remains rational. There's also a brand of fear known as a phobia. A phobia is what results when fear and reason don't keep in touch. I read a story years ago. It reminds me of this. It was a truck driver in a certain city going across a long bridge, and the, the thought came to him of stopping the truck in the middle of the bridge and jumping off the bridge and taking his life. So he asked his wife to begin to ride in the truck with him. Before they get to the bridge, she would ask, him, ask her to handcuff him to the steering wheel so he couldn't fulfill his deepest fear. That's exactly what fear does when it builds its power over, over, over us. It shackles our hands, keeps us from doing the routine things in life and work and play and enjoying the family and living and serving God. And many, many give in to the slavery of fear. It's believed that one in ten suffer from a specific phobia, some type. The other nine are more like me. They won't be controlled by some irrational fear, but will still wrestle with a garden variety of fear and worry when moments in life seem to come undone, unraveled. Listen to me. Phobias are unhealthy. If you deal with that, find a counselor and find someone who has learned how to live life even though they had to deal with a phobia. But what about Christians? You would think that fear would be an excess baggage for those of us who live as Christians, but it usually doesn't work out that way. The Bible doesn't paint a picture of a fear-free life. You may have been taught that, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. And if you look at Scripture, it seems God's people are tormented by the same fears as everyone else. The disciples, they literally had Jesus beside them for about three years, yet they were constantly fearful of storms and crowds and armies and demons and even the loss of their leader. The Israelite army, thousands of men lived in fear of one man. Of course, this man was over nine feet tall, but he played on their fear. He taunted them, paralyzed an army for 40 days. And then their king, Saul, he was ruled by fear of the giant, and then he was fearful of the man who slew the giant. And David himself wasn't free of fear, but before the biggest battle, he took courage and his slingshot and five stones and used one of them to take out the giant. 
Listen to what Mark Twain said. Courage isn't the absence of fear, but the mastery of it. It's the place where fear and faith meet. There are stories in the Bible about the power of fear. You remember the story about the delegation of spies that went into Canaan to, on a fact-finding mission to this unknown promised land. And it was a promised land that God gave them because they'd been in slavery for over 400 years. And the land was a mystery as much as the promise. So they decided to send out spies. The experience of these men had an impact on Israel that lasted for a generation. It, it cost a lot. It broke hearts and brought tragedy. Ma- the majority of the people did not see the lay of the land, the perspective God had for their lives. And God didn't ordain that spirit of fear that drove their recommendation. But in Deuteronomy 1, God's mandate was very clear. Here's your land. It, it's my gift to you. Go, go take it. It's yours. They couldn't stand against the final obstacle, fear. You, and, and listen, I, I'm, I'm setting this introduction up to get into the body of this message. But put yourself, you may be standing at a threshold of God's greatest promise for you or for yours or for your marriage or your children. And you may never claim it if you let fear dominate your life. That's why scripture gives us this text, 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Say it with me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So power doesn't shrink back in uncertainty and love isn't conquered and a sound mind doesn't deal in irrational speculations. God has a rich territory, a promise with your name on it, and he wants you to charge toward it with a cry of victory, not a wail of fear. So here's the cry of victory for a believer. Listen, it's in the Bible. It's Romans eight fifteen. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has a plan, and we can claim it with assurance, but if we let fear in, fear will disregard the plan. Let's fast forward to the 21st century. Let's look at today. Our, our landscape is full of fear. It's full of worry. Our society is worry. It, it's just rampant, this, this ideal of worry. We worry about health and children and finances and jobs and marriages and retirement and what people think about us and what people say about us. And worry is an offspring of fear. But fear will paralyze your faith. So, so here's the difference. Watch, I want to give you this before we get into it. Here, here's the difference. Faith is a reaction from the heart based on something God said. God just said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. So I base my faith on that. Worry is a reaction from the emotions based on something your circumstance has said or something from your mind that your enemy has said to you. Now, worry in Webster's as a noun means mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually from something impending or anticipated. As a noun, it means to afflict mental distress or agitation. So in a noun and a verb, there's two words that are common, mental distress. Mental distress means that your mind and your emotions are suffering. If you're dealing with fear, your mind and emotions are suffering. And these negative forces work in our emotional realm, our emotional realms in our soul, and, and it can be very destructive to so many areas of our life. And you may be thinking, well, how? So I'm going to show you. Here's the first way. Fear distorts God's purpose. Fear is predictable only in one area, that it will rob your view of a clear perspective. So here's Moses talking to the Israelites that are having this 
uh, distorted view and their attitude. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy 1.27. You grumbled in your tents. You said the Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Those are enemies of God. Where can we go? Our brothers, talking about the spies, the spies, have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the promise saying, where we're supposed to be, the people are stronger and, and taller than we are. The cities are large. The walls go up to the sky. And we even, we even saw the Anakites there. That's the giant family where they come from. Fear brings out the worst. Fear ushers in complaining, distrust, finger pointing, and despair. Our society is covered in fear. Most won't admit it, but you look at what, what fear produces. We'll go back to the story. God provided them victory over the Egyptians' oppression of slavery. Over 430-some-odd years, the, the, God's people have been under slavery. God delivered them from that. He delivered them through the wilderness. He gave them a new plan for living by giving them the commandments on Mount Sinai. And now he's going to give them a piece of real estate, a new land to build a nation so they can have a home and have security and identity. Now, we may not understand the phrase promised land, but it would be better, a better word would be inheritance. So inheritance is possession, the portion God has given you. Every one of you as a believer, God has an inheritance that's yours. It's for you. It's for nobody else. It fits you. It fits your house, your home, your family. It's for you. And, you know, understand that the people, God's telling them they have a promise, saying they're cowering in their tents to gripe about God. And they're griping about God. God's brought us to this very place to give us over to the Amorites. Then the spies come back with this distorted picture, and this infected the whole nation. There's giants in the land. Well, fear just runs rampant. Through that statement, fear goes into the Israelites. Of course, while they were in the land, the spies, they did see some giants, but only a few. Most of the people were not giants. And, and you know, the only giant was the one inside of their head, and its name was fear. And that's what they brought back because the voice of fear becomes the stranglehold that cuts off their inheritance by them speaking unbelief. They're speaking unbelief about God about God's promises, we'd be better to stay in Egypt. Numbers 13, 32. And they gave the spies, the children of Israel, a bad report. The Bible says it's a bad report. I'm telling you, the, the, the whole report is skewed. It's not real. It's all inflated. And, and the land through which uh, we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. I mean, the land's going to kill everybody there. You can't live there. And all the people whom we saw... Well, it just contradicted what they just said. Our men of great statue. We saw giants, the descendants of Anak. And we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so were we in their sight. Here's what's going on through the spies. Fear's talking. When it talks, listen, when fear talks, it makes no sense or point of reasoning. Here's what fear does. Fear throws out an idea to you that has no point of reference. And fear will even contradict itself. And here's why. Fear's not trying to make an argument, but wants you to bite into unbelief. It wants you to believe a bad report. It wants you to b- believe the negative. It wants you to look at things in your world, in our world, in your home, and believe that it's all falling apart and, 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 and everything's going to crumble. The fear of the spies, they came in and they painted their story in dark tones. The, the land of ours is inhabitants, and we're like grasshoppers in our sight and in their sight. Yes, fear is an army of giants, and it multiplies one giant after another. And at the same time, it also makes us grasshoppers in our own eyes. In other words, we lose sight of the promise. 
We lose sight of what the Word says, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We lose the ability to see things in a true perspective. Fear, not the object of fear, devours its inhabitants. So great was their distorted perspective that they even made God to be an evil giant. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. He he brought us out here to give us up as food to the enemy and and, and the heathens. But we've said the same thing in fear. God is out to get me. God is punishing me. God, he, he brought me. He, God's making me miserable. I, I'm, he, he's doing this to me. The greater the fear, the weaker our reasoning. Why? Because fear distorts our perception, our perception of God's purpose. So fear works in the mental and the emotional realm and is very destructive in many areas. Here's the second area. Fear discourages God's people. Listen to me. Discouragement is contagious. It's contagious. When you give in to fears, you, you, you make the world around you an environment of discouragement, which means you just took courage out. So 10 of the 12 men came back with what the Bible calls a bad report, and those 10, watch, infected an entire nation. Anywhere from 2 to 3 million people, 10 men without the Internet and without Facebook and without tweeting and... 10 men infected an entire nation, not for a month and not for a year, but for a generation and a generations from 40 to 42 years. Fear is contagious and eventually it breeds hysteria. And that's where we're going as a nation, by the way. And it's slowly the undercurrents of hysteria are taking place all over the place because fear is contagious. But let's go back to these people. Their hopes were of being set free from slavery. 400 years of slavery. They had a hope for a homeland, of security, of a house, of home, of security and identity, new beginnings. And they were ruined for 40 years because of 10 men. And these 10 men, they did bring a giant back. Yeah, they brought fruit to see, look at the fruit in this land, but they brought back a giant and it's called fear. And it went through the camp of the Israelites and it devoured faith and courage of a nation. Fear is more infectious than any disease you can name, and it, and it roams the landscape today to discourage people, especially God's people. So fear works in the mental, emotional realm, and it's very destructive. Here's the third way. Fear disbelieves God's promises. Listen, Deuteronomy 129, Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you didn't trust the Lord. The challenge before the Israelites wasn't something that came out of nowhere, a demand to trust some mysterious, you know, untested providence. This was an invitation for God who had already gone with them throughout the journey. He's a loving father. He's remained faithful and steadfast. He called them his children. The Bible says he picked them up and carried them like an infant. He watched over them. He ordered their steps. He fed them. He protected them. So here's the point of the wilderness. The point of the wilderness experience was for the people to bond with their heavenly father. Fear didn't allow them to do that. They didn't bond with their heavenly father. In fact, this whole generation, the fourth generation, they they didn't get in the promised land. Only two people. We'll talk about them in a minute. See, learning always involves testing, and that's what happens when the spies were appointed. The test was, well, people, do they really test? Do they really trust God? Or do they trust people or themselves? But they had everything they needed to pass the test. Seems that every defining moment of faith is just like starting over. Yes, we have the past to build on, just like the Israelites could have looked back and said, man, God's brought us this far. Surely he'll get us to the promised land. 
But here's what we do. We struggle to that very thing. The moment a crisis comes, the rearview mirror should give us perspective, but we don't look at the mirror because of fear, and our eyes are frozen to what's in the headlights in front of us. This is true with the Israelites. There were giants in their headlights. So watch, this is true with us. And, and so they seemed, the giants seemed so massive, they blocked what God had done in the past, delivery of slavery, what God was doing in the present, wanting to bond with them and have a relationship with them, and what his word promised for the future. They're going to miss it by 40 years. Fear disbelieves God's promise. That's what fear will do. So fear works in the emotional realm, and it's destructive. Number four, fear disobeys God's principles. Deuteronomy 1.26, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord. It's a harsh truth. Fear is disobedience. It's plain and simple. How can fear be anything other than disobedience to God when he's given us everything we need to walk in faith? So there's a little phrase in the Bible. It's two words. It's this, fear not. Fear not. It's stated in the imperative sense, which makes it a command. So how many times must God remind us as believers not to fear? Well, if you look at and study it, you'll you'll find it's in the Bible 365 times. Kind of like we need to do that every day. Have you forgotten that God has given us everything we need to deal with fear? And when it's all said and done, any alternative to his ways boils down to disobedience, and that's costly. So let me show you what it cost Israel. It cost them an entire generation, the fourth generation. Moses dies out. He doesn't get there. Joshua picks it up. He takes the fifth generation in to the promised land. And then here comes the sixth generation who's basically lost because they, they were distressed with what's going on in the culture, and they d- didn't know God. They knew about God, but they didn't know God in their heart. So here, th- th- this group, the fourth generation, is forbidden from finding their journey's destination. The only two permitted to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb, the only one who stood firm in their faith. They're the ones who stood in what God said. No, this is your land. You take it. It's yours. Courage earned them their home. And they, here's the sad part for Joshua and Caleb. They're going to get this great big reward in heaven. You know, it's like they, they had to go through the wilderness 40 years with all these people. And they were waiting for funeral after funeral after funeral until all these people died off so they could go into the promises of God. Their true home. God longs for you to accept your promise. And his promise, watch, he has promises for each season of life. So he has a promise for you if you're in college. He has a promise for you if you've just gotten married. He has a promise for you if you, if you have children, if you have grandchildren. He, he, it's a promise for season after season. And, and fear can keep you from accepting the promise. Fear can keep you from the right mate. It can keep you from the right career direction. It can keep you from ministry or callings. Now, we want to accept them, but fear holds us back. What do we do? What if? What if? What if I do this? What if I do that? What if some professor said something negative and then I, 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 I shouldn't do that because he said this and that and fear comes in? What if? What if? It doesn't seem to register to many that God never calls his children only to desert them. In other words, because of fear, you settle for less than what God has planned for you. Isn't that the kind of disappointment in life that's far more to be feared than the risk of taking God at his word? Of course it is. So here's the question. Here's the question. I, got, I did all that to get to here. Here's the question. How can we face our fears? Because all of us have to face fears. So I'm going to give you three ways, okay? So if you're asleep, wake up. 
if, if, if you're tuned out, tune in, because this is the most important part. And when I get down to number three, I'll drill it home and show you why it's the most important part. So listen to me. How do we face our fears? Number one, confront fear honestly. You may want your fear to vanish for years, but it's not going anywhere on its own. If you want to defeat it, you've got to be like David. You've got to gather up stones and advance boldly. So what do you do? You ask yourself, what's the root of my fear? Especially men. Because, you know, we're men. We're not supposed to cry. We're supposed to be strong. We're not supposed to have fears. That's not true. We're human and we're breathing. So what, what is the root of your fear? Because, listen, the root of your fear falls into insecurity. It, it calls into rejection. falls under rejection or shame or isolation. That, that's where it is. And people have said to me, well, I don't know. I'm just afraid. I just have a spirit of fear. Well, if that's you, then you need to take a, dip, a, a deeper look and get a specific reading on what's causing those feelings. You ask God to search your heart. He knows the problems. Let him show you. That's what the psalmist did in Psalms 34 and 4. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So to walk with God is to walk fearlessly. So we need to identify the fear and then confess it. When watch, when you confess it, you identify it. He'll show you steps that lead you to victory over your fears. I've had to do it many, many times. How do we face our fears? Number two, claim God's promises of protection. Now, Many people simply don't realize the treasure that lies at our fingertips, the Bible, whether it's the printed or whether it's on, in, in, in a device, but it is full of practical promises. And when we choose to take hold of them, it leads to the liberation from some tough problems in life. So you need to find them. You need to memorize them. Write them on a sticky note, whatever you got to do. L- listen to what the psalmist said in 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 118 and 6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalms 3.20, uh, Proverbs 3.25, don't be afraid of sudden terror. I remember the first sermon I preached after 9-11, and I used this verse. I mean, it's sudden terror, not of trouble from the wicked when it comes, nor of trouble when the wicked one comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Fear is a snare. Proverbs 29-25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And, and let, let me give you the essential Old Testament verse on this subject. You ready for this one? You want it? This means yes. Okay. So this is the essential Old Testament verse. You need to memorize this one. It's Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear not. It's God talking. For I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Old Testament right hand is the significant hand of God's power. So he's going to uphold you by his power. So those are some of the best verses uh, for, fire, for fear insurance, if you will. So pull those verses out of the living water and put them like the five smooth stones in your pouch and then let them come from your lips and start speaking them. Number three. This is the most important part of this message. Listen to me. You may have been a believer 40 years. You may be a new believer. You may not be a believer. But life has fear attached to it. And I'm telling you, and and, and listen, this topic of fear, you you could teach on it for months, okay? But sometimes you teach on it so much that it magnifies the issue. And what God was saying to my heart is, "This is this is the simplest way to handle this. But you have to do it. And when I tell you what it is, you're going to say, ah, I've heard that before. 
I didn't come to give you anything new. I come to remind you what the Word says. So if you're dealing with fear, and you will, you will. Here's number three. It's It's to cultivate a closer relationship with God. Now, we haven't really discussed the two dissenters in the group of the spies. It was these two guys, they went on the same trip. They saw the same walled cities. They, they saw the giants. They brought back a minority report. And, and Joshua and Caleb, they listened to all the worst-case scenarios. They listened to all the negative stuff. And calmly, here's what they would say. No, no, we can do this. No, that's ours. We're able to, that's, God said that's ours. We can do this. What made the difference for these two men? Well, Numbers 32 and 12 will tell us because it says the whole, that whole generation, fourth generation, They didn't make it in except for Caleb and Joshua. And he says, here's why it says they made it in. For they have wholly followed the Lord. Joshua and Caleb are living proof of what it means to have godly courage because you wholly follow God. Now listen to me. Your level of fear is ultimately a referendum on the closeness of your relationship with God. Did you get that? Your level of fear is ultimately a referendum on the closeness of your relationship with God. The closer I am to God, the less I'm going to entertain fear. The further away I get from God's relationship, the more fear begins to grab my mind and and, and assassinate my mind. And, And here's why this is true. Because when you spend time with the Father, you see His power, you see His love, you know His faithfulness, you see that His purposes are best for you. Let me show you the essential New Testament, the best verse in the New Testament on this subject. It's 1 John 4, 8. Listen to what he said. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not made, uh, has not made perfect in love. Fear involves torment. I'm telling you, when fear attacks your mind, mom, dad, about the job, about the kids, about the doctor's report. It is torment. So listen to me. You defeat a spirit with an opposite spirit. We live in a spiritual realm. You are a spirit, possess a soul, you live in a body. Your spirit will live forever. Okay? So you defeat a spirit with an opposite spirit. So the opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear is not trust. The opposite of fear is love. So what? Let me illustrate it this way. And if you're a parent, you're going to get this immediately. If you're not a parent, you will be one day, so you need it. I think parents understand this because you've had a child wake up in the middle of the night crying out in fear. And moms know the cry. And they know that's just not a hungry cry. That's a cry because I'm afraid. So what do we do? We rush into the bedroom, and you take the child, and you pick them up, and you say, be courageous. (laughs) Or if you're a dad, you say, toughen up, buttercup. I'm not going to say it in this service, but the last service, I said, if you do that, you're an idiot, but I'm not going to say it in this service. (laughs) No, what do we do? We pick up the child. We pull the child in close we begin to speak to them. We begin to tell them, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. Mama's right here. Daddy's right here. 
We're in a safe place. You don't have to be afraid. Here's what you're doing. You're pouring love in the child. And you continue to pour love into that child until the fear is cast out. And when the fear is cast out, the child goes to sleep and sleeps like a baby. Can I get a witness from mamas? Your heavenly father wants you to leap into his arms when you are afraid. You can't do this by yourself. You can't read enough books to try to figure it out intellectually. This is a spiritual matter. So he wants you to realize who he is and that you don't have to fear. And so the, the key to that assurance is love, the opposite of fear. So to experience the full love of God, you need to feel the deepest security in your heart and your mind and your emotions. And that's what fear attacks. So if I can get security there, then fear's still going to come. Fear's still going to talk to me. It's still going to come. But it's not going to affect me. Why? Because I am secure in my heart with love. When we realize all of this, his incomprehensible love washes through and cleanses and casts out the fear. Come on. And it doesn't matter who you are. Because fear is no respecter. Fear doesn't want you to achieve God's purpose for your life. But watch. <laughs> when you realize his incomprehensible love washes and casts away fear, then... And only then do we find ourselves capable of returning love. Because remember, the word says we love him because he first loved us. You, you, you can't love unless he loves you first. I can't love you if I didn't love him. If I didn't love him, I wouldn't be here. Because I wouldn't have love for you. But because I love him, I can love you. When I realize that when I'm afraid, I can go to him and his love is going to cast the fear, then I can love him back. And we're going to be visited by fear again and again because it's part of living. But watch, it will never have the same hold on us. The hold gets less and less and less. Then you learn to, listen, you, you learn to entertain the thought that comes into your mind that fear is knocking again and telling you something. And I'm telling you, it doesn't let up. You know who will be knocking on the door of my mind this afternoon and in the morning? Fear. You know what preachers deal with the most in fear? It's called intimidation. The number one fear on the earth is not the fear of death, it's the fear of public speaking. So intimidation comes to tell, start telling me, you said this wrong, you did this, you did that, you did this, and what are they going to say, and what are they going to think, and all that. But let me tell you how I got past that 20 years ago. I realized that if I will speak what God's Word says, and if you don't agree with it, I don't give a rip. It's God's Word. It doesn't change. When I understand his love for me is so strong that fear comes in. And I'm telling you, the thoughts of fear that come in sometimes, they're bizarre. 
How did that get there? I don't know, but what do I do? I start loving God. I start worshiping God. So, so watch this principle. If you develop this, as a matter of fact, you won't have time to nurture the deep fears anymore. They, they won't build up to a giant. Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit that lives in here will see that it doesn't happen. How does he do that? Well, he'll see that our hands are active in ministry. Watch the principle. The more you reach out to other people with needs, the smaller your fears become. Why? Because love is casting out fear. You're loving, you're casting out fear. Fear tends to send us inward and isolated and lonely. And this produces discouragement, no courage. So if you need encouragement right now, my advice is to go encourage someone. Or if you're caught up in your own needs, go fill the needs of others. What do you do? You start reaping what you've sown. The love you give, you're going to get a reward for it. This is the ultimate strategy to face fear. So children call out to their natural parents, but as adults, Christians, we should call out to the parent, the father, whose name is so much more powerful and loving and responsive because God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. Watch, power, if you grew up like I did, it was, oh, you need the power and then everything will be good. No, power is a part of breaking fear, but it won't do it on its own. A sound mind won't do it on its own. Power and a sound mind won't do it on its own. So what's going to break this spirit of fear? The boldness it takes to break through the power of fear is fueled by God's love. And I'm telling you, it's strong and it's powerful. And we're, we're going to close this service. We're going, to, we're going to stand and we're going to make a declaration of how powerful it is. But, but, but I want to tell you this. All of these verses, all of these things that come up, there will come a time and there will come a day where you can't remember to quote the verse. You can't find it. You can't, you can't. And you're overwhelmed and your emotions are paralyzed. I cannot tell you how many times this happened to me as, as a young adult, as, 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 a, as a father, as a, as a husband, as a pastor. And there's been so many times. Listen, I've been so overwhelmed in fear that all I could do was this. All I could say was, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm telling you, by the time you start saying that name out loud, fear has to move around. Fear has to move out of the way. You're saying, Pastor, are you making this a real spiritual matter? I'm making it a spiritual matter because it is a spiritual matter. And you can't defeat this thing without a spirit. And God's love is the spirit that defeats it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what you've learned and practice it. But we're going to start off. And we're going to start right here. We're going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song together. This song is a declaration. So I don't want you to, you know, just look at it and with your arms folded or whatever. I want you to declare it. If you're, if you're dealing with fear, I want you to sing it and declare it. I want you to get it in your spirit. So the next time fear comes, you know what to say. You know how to respond. You know how to get in the Father's arm and let him love on you and move that fear out of the way. Are you ready? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your love that nothing can conquer, nothing can stop. Thank you for loving us so much. And may we learn how to avoid being 
controlled by fear and miss out on your promises. And the church said amen. Now I want you to stand. Don't leave the room. Come on, stand. All the campuses, come on, stand. We're going to sing this song together. I want you to sing it like you mean it. Excuse me so I could say 